0: What's going on, everybody? Hardest part of the ring. Back at ya. With some more Attitude Era goodness. Some salty, salty Attitude Era stuff today. And um, we're gonna do something a little bit different today. I actually had a, a buddy of mine named Staple Gun. I think that's his actual name. I think that's his birth name. But, uh, me and Staple have known each other for a while through, um, IGN pro wrestling forums. Uh, this is actually our first time we actually like talk to each other outside of typing on the internet. Really knowledgeable guy. And, um, I think we had a good time talking about this show. Backlash 2001, very underrated show in my opinion. This, this is a big time for me. 2001 was, uh a crucial time in my wrestling fandom because I was like eight years old, nine years old, something like that. And, you know, I was still young enough to kind of immerse myself in the whole universe of it to kind of, you know, I probably knew it was scripted at that point, but I wasn't really focused on it. I wasn't focused on the backstage politics or the, the work rate. You know what I mean? A really innocent time as a child, as a little boy, as a little hardest part of the ring. And, um, but I'm still old enough to kind of comprehend the storylines and have the emotion of what I, uh, you know, in correlation to what I was watching, right? So I have very fond memories of this time period in 2001. It's, uh, it's after the Austin heel turn right after WrestleMania 17. So we have heel stone cold teaming up with triple H and Vince McMahon. You have the two man power trip, beating the shit out of the Hardy boys, beating the shit out of Lita just running roughshod over the entire company. You have Undertaker and Kane as the guys that look to stop that. And you have loads and loads of good stuff on this show. I don't think there was a bad match on the show. There were some matches that maybe could have used better build. Um, but all in all, this is a pretty close to perfect show as far as where everything was structured in the show, where everything kind of fell in the show as far as like what order the matches came in and A lot of good builds, a lot of good storylines, a lot of entertaining stuff. I said this on my WrestleMania review, but I feel like this time period, WWF was really hitting on all cylinders as far as, like, providing something for each kind of fan and creating top-to-bottom good shows. Because, you know, maybe, like, late 90s, early 2000s, they would just have a main event storyline, and then everything else was kind of just thrown together. But this time period, mid-2001, pre-invasion, um... They had, like I said, they had you know, a great opener, great, great stuff in the middle, and then a great main event. They had technical wrestling, hardcore wrestling, you know, soap opera stuff, women, men, tall, small, fat, skinny. They had everything, and it created a top to bottom quality show. And Backlash 2001 was no different. I really, really enjoyed it, but I don't want to blabber on too long. I don't want to take me and Staples Thunder. So with that. I'm gonna throw it over to uh, the recording we did the other day, and like I said, I think we had a good time. And uh, let me know if you uh, like these type of shows. If you like the back and forth, I think it's good to have back and forth on these reviews. Yeah, man. With that, here's the interview. That's dumb. I don't need to. How do how do you throw it to like two people talking when one of them's me? But up, but up, up, up. Here's backlash. Fuck it. Uh, here, here, here it is. Um, so you, okay. you were able to watch the show. Did you watch it yesterday? Yeah,
1: I, I watched some of it last night, and then I finished the last <clears throat> three matches this morning just so they'd be more fresh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd seen yeah. it before. A random question, but, uh, like, were you really into wrestling when this was happening or?
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's pretty interesting because, like, this is probably, like, the peak of my, like, because I was probably, like, eight years old or so during okay. this time. So I was still like young enough to like fully immerse myself in like everything, but like old um. enough to understand all the storylines and stuff like that. So as far as like my enjoyment of wrestling, this is probably like the peak of it like during this era. Yeah. Um, I,
1: I, I was just wondering, and maybe this is something we want to say for the podcast because it would give the <clears throat> listeners an interesting, uh, kind of give them our
0: perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm recording but, right now, by the way. Oh, uh, okay, We can, that, but we can okay. throw it in there however we want.
1: Okay. Uh, because I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm 33. So when this came out, I was probably, um, I guess this would make me probably, let's see, I was 10 and 96.
0: And then five years so you're later. Like 13, 14.
1: Uh, no, nah, I was probably 16. And yeah, I had, uh, I'm, I'm, becoming an idiot suddenly yeah i was 15 um and so i'm like i i pretty vividly remember this but uh, i guess wrestling fans are generally younger and so it's weird to talk to people now that are like yeah man i've been watching for a long time i remember when john cena debuted and oh
0: yeah (laughs) like
1: in my mind it's like of course you remember when john cena debuted that was you know when i was 20 years old
0: Right. Exactly. What have you? No, I mean I'll see the same thing. Like on Instagram, I'll see people like post something about like Nexus, and they'll be like, "Oh, this yeah. was my childhood." Like, what the <laughs> hell, man? And so, yeah,
1: it's I, so I was wondering how aware of this you was when, because I, I, I actively remember the two man power trip, and I uh, oh, yeah. I don't know, it's just uh...
0: well, it's weird because so, I haven't yeah. seen the show in a while. Um, like in its, in its entirety but uh-huh. there were certain points in the show where i like got deja vu where like i remember exactly where i was when i first watched it so i guess it had a pretty significant impact on on me i guess it was kind of just that time period where i was watching where i was really really into it um, and
1: on the on the opposite end of that there is something i for, i totally forgot how involved vince mcmahon was in the two-man power trip I like. Oh, I yeah. very vividly remember it being Austin and Triple H, and they're like. I remember them. I, I watched live as they beat down the Hardy Boys and Lita, um, mm-hmm. you know, yelled at Austin for hitting Lita with a chair. The whole thing, but then, like as we talk about later, Vince coming in during the main event, I forgot he was that involved with it.
0: Yeah, I forgot he was involved. Like in this match, I knew like the whole thing with WrestleMania and Austin Chicken yeah. his hand and whatnot, but like. During this time, like, in the Rawls and SmackDowns leading up to this, because I was I was a huge Hardy Boys fan when I was growing up. Like, they're my favorite wrestlers. And, obviously, you have Austin and Triple H who are these dastardly heels. So, I remember being very, very into it because I love the Hardys. And, like, when they beat down Lita with the chair and all that stuff, man, I was so hyped for it. Like, I was so angry at them. Like, I vividly yeah. remember being a kid watching this and being so invested in everything they were doing.
1: And, and in the Hardys book, they talk about – uh, they talk about this angle and how, a how much of an honor it was to be chosen. Like the like we're the guys that are going to get Austin over as a heel, but mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, it's a case of, uh, we they needed the Hardys to get Austin over as the heel because it it yeah. just wasn't taking yet.
0: Right. Yeah, because they had you know that initial promo on Raw. And even WrestleMania itself, where Austin was still getting cheered. And then yeah. they had that SmackDown after WrestleMania where he just beat the shit out of JR and bloodied him up. So they were really doing, I'm actually in the process of reading JR's uh, latest book. And he goes into that, like how it was such a struggle. Like, first of all, they do the heel turn in Austin's hometown, which is kind of a, a bonehead move. But then, you know, people don't want to do Austin. I mean, they, everybody loves Austin. So they're doing everything they can, like beating up JR, beating up the Hardy Boys. And, I mean, even, you know, even in this show, in a Backlash, it doesn't feel like people are really taken to the heel turn, as you said, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. But I think pairing him with Triple H did a lot in terms of
0: hey, people you're seeing out a little the bit. change.
1: Okay. Uh, let's see. All right. Say something. Uh,
0: yeah, I, yeah, now you're better.
1: Okay. Uh, I think pairing him with Triple H did a lot in terms of people <laughs> accepting the this
0: change yeah
1: uh but yeah let's you want to dive into the show
0: yeah yeah so uh backlash 2001 chicago first of all the set like the backlash like stage setup it's probably one of my favorite sets of all time i really miss when they would like tailor it to whatever the show was um yeah. it really made it feel special like right off the bat um so first match we have X Factor versus the Dudleys. So we have Albert, X Pac, and Just Incredible versus Bubba Devon and Spike. Um, this match was pretty solid. It was definitely an opener match. Um, it's not really mm-hmm. necessarily something I would like go back out of my way and watch. Um, they kind of hit all their beats. It was kind of a greatest hits as far as the Dudley Boys go. Um, so it was a solid match, kind of short, um, but it served its purpose. X Factor gets the win with a double super kick which uh, during this time period, they're kind of working to build these guys up, um, which I totally forgot about. But then after the match, they keep the crowd happy with a little table spot. They do a 3D on X-Pac post-match. So the crowd was really into it, especially the post-match kind of stuff. So I think it served its purpose and was uh, placed well on the card. What about you? Yeah.
1: Oh, I definitely agree. And, you know, both of these teams are kind of weird because... Spike was such a perfect fit for Bubba and Devon. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. you have their ECW past and all that, but I looked it up. And in their entire history of WWE, WWF, Spike and Bubba and Devon uh, were in six man tags less than 15 times. Really? Yeah. And it seemed, because I I was thinking about it, I was like, these guys, they just worked so well together. Uh, Why don't I remember more? And that's because there, there really wasn't more. And Uh, They came in and they had about uh, five or six, six mans. And then late in 2004, they had another probably five or six. But outside of that, they they didn't interact very much. Uh, Now they had some house show stuff where Spike would step in for Devon or Spike would step in for Bubba uh, Mm -hmm. for various reasons. I I don't know what those are, but uh, probably just somebody had a night off. But it just works so well because Bubba and Devon are such an established (coughs) team that having that third guy in there who can be the face in peril and does so, so well, you would have thought they would put together more.
0: Uh, yeah, No, I agree. I think like in a year's time after this, they do the draft, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, Bubba gets drafted the Raw and d and goes to SmackDown. So I think that played a big part in it. Um, I think Spike was just so versatile in the card and he could be used in so many ways. So it, he didn't really need to be paired up with the Dudleys in my opinion. But yeah, that's interesting. I would have guessed they would have been paired together a lot more.
1: And and Um, then you had, um, X factor who like,
0: you're a mark. I I, I,
1: I like (laughs) X factor. First of all, keep in mind, I'm 15 when they come out. Uh, Uh this is 2001 and they use uncle cracker as theme music. Uh, that is like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and then you were sold.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I remember a friend of mine, uh, Calling me and he was, or I went to his house and he was like, "Dude, I have X Factor theme music. I got that CD." And (laughs) but I mean, if you really kind of take a step back and look at it, they had, uh, they they had potential, but they were based around X Pac. If not for being based around X Pac, was a very good utility player, but he was not a leader. Uh, Right. But yeah, I, I like X Factor, and so. And here's what you said. This was a great opener match. And here's what I think made it a great opener match. The whole point of an opener is to get the fans involved, right? Right. The Dudley boys, especially with Spike, are so easy to love. X-Factor yeah, are so easy to hate. And so uh, yeah. immediately <laughs> the crowd are like, I'm into this.
0: Yeah, there's like peak X-Pac heat era yeah. and like everything the Dudley boys do like the was up thing they did during this match I mean uh, the crowd went berserk I don't know if they popped harder for anything else during the show for that kind of stuff uh, on the table spot after it was really good stuff and yeah, then going so it, back to X Factor for, for a second do you think yeah. it would have panned out better if Albert was the leader
1: um maybe that way? maybe the the weird thing is and I I, I think I, I, I see more potential in Justin Credible than a lot of people do but and maybe it's because I was the ECW mark that I was, but yeah. Just Incredible was really good on the mic as far as getting people to hate him. And so right. maybe they didn't necessarily need somebody to say, hey, this is the leader. But I think everyone they, they could have played their roles different differently. Uh, mm-hmm. If you had Just Incredible on the mic more to draw heat, if you had Albert come out as the heater where he's just destroying mm-hmm. everybody, and then you have X-Pac do his thing, I think yeah. I think... They could have been good. They just it was all the right pieces in all the wrong places.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with uh, Justin incredible myself. I never really watched ECW growing up. I really only know him from X Factor, really, which is probably unfortunate. But I mean, the few times (laughs) I have seen him on the mic, he is definitely very competent. He's very good at uh, being a little shithead. Yeah. Um, and Albert, I mean, this match, Albert, I think really shined. I, I forgot like how like smooth this guy was. I think it's a real shame he like never really amounted to too much more than this. I mean, he was a pretty big factor like later on SmackDown, like 2003, 2004. But I'm kind of surprised. Like, even like I'm surprised Vince didn't see him and like try to do more with him personally.
1: But you know, it's funny you say that. But there are so many times where Albert is very significant, <clears throat> but he's also very forgettable. You know, because mm-hmm. you 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 talk about the 2003, 2000 TNA, not the brand, but the you know Test and Albert, they were yeah. a pretty big deal tag team. Uh, they were probably you know towards the top of the tag team division for a little while. Uh, yeah. Then you 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 have this time, you have uh, he comes back as Tensai later and you know beats John Cena and fails. Uh, yeah. You have eight, uh, you have him teaming with Brock Lesnar and Big Show and Matt Morgan and Nathan Jones against Team Angle. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, he had so many different roles throughout WWE where he was either significant or, you know, just entertaining. But I don't know. It's just yeah. apparently something was there. Very, very
0: a high, consistent. A highlighted I mean,
1: this, yeah. A highlight of this match that I really liked. And I think it was even in the picture-in-picture thing. But Spike <clears> and <throat> Albert are in the ring together. And, and it, to me, it's worth going back to watch just because it's so humorous. And Albert goes to get a tag and Spike tries to fight him off. Albert just reaches down and grabs Spike by the back of the pants, picks him up and carries him over to his corner and tags in.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I loved it. It was like the SmackDown or Raw before this. Albert like picks Spike up like in the ring in a military press and like literally threw him like 10 feet out of the ring. Like (laughs) it was so (laughs) funny to see like the size discrepancy and how it was like just a test of how, how far he could throw spike. Yeah. So yeah, it was good stuff there. All right. Um so you do you want to do like star ratings for these matches? Uh
1: yeah, we can. Uh you, you I I had this ranked as the sixth best best match on the card. Uh I really liked it, but yeah, this I was a that, really, sure. really good card. Uh I forgot how good it was. Uh so yeah, uh, I would yeah. say, you know, I don't know, three stars, whatever average is. It did its job was nothing yeah, spectacular, yeah. but did what it was supposed to do.
0: Yeah, almost the exact same for me. I gave it a 2.5, which is you know, half of five. But I mean, it really could yeah. have gone either way. It was like you said, it was desi- it executed what it was designed to do perfectly and uh, kind of set the tone for the rest of the show. Um, so, yeah. Uh, next match, we have Rhino versus Raven for the hardcore title. I loved this match. I forgot how awesome this match was. It was definitely like a it was it was a sprint. It wasn't too long. But these guys went out there and made every second count. Like it's almost like they had chips on their shoulders. Like they were almost like frustrated being pitch and being pigeonholed as like the ECW guys. So they went out there and like, like I said, made every second count. They were stiff as hell during this match. Um, trash cans, shopping carts, uh, stop signs. I, I I hope to God they gimmick those signs at least a little bit because they were literally (laughs) like rearing back and hitting each other as hard as they could. And like the sound of it was like echoing throughout the whole arena. It was ridiculous. But, um, so yeah, the finish, awesome finish too. So there's a shopping cart in the corner. Rhino goes to gore Raven, but Raven, Raven, uh, evades him. Rhino goes right through the shopping cart. It looked awesome. Um, but ultimately Rhino kind of retaliates with a gore out of nowhere, which looks sick. Um, I gave this match three and three quarter stars and it was my personal second favorite match on the show. What about you?
1: Uh, so this is to me, one of, if not, if definitely one of the best hardcore matches that WWE ever did. I agree. And right. Ra- First of all, Raven is so <laughs> underutilized in WWE. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying give him a world title, but I would love that. But if you, I, I love listening to Raven talk and reading what he has to say because he's such a smart guy. I think mm-hmm. you could have given him the hardcore title, given him a little creative freedom, and he could have really made it into something uh, more than it was. Um, here, here's why I love this match, and I, I've watched it several times throughout my life. Is this, there's a there's a very there's an underlying story here of Raven playing smart and Rhino just being a wrecking machine. Right. If you go back and watch, uh, every time Raven's in control, he does like a a boom, boom, stop and think and set up, boom, boom, stop and think and set up, boom, boom, stop and think and set up. Whereas Rhino's con- control segments are just constant. He's just on him. He's hitting him with stuff. He's grabbing whatever he can. He he's it when he's not uh, when he's not hitting him with something. He, he's grabbing something to hit him with. He's throwing him. Yeah. Raven gets in control when Rhino stops to think and Rhino gets in control when Raven doesn't stop to think. Yeah. And, and it's a really cool story that really plays into both of these characters. But yeah. I hear... Did these guys.
0: No, go go ahead. Ahead. I was going to say, did these guys work together in ECW a lot? I didn't, I don't know if they were there at the same time or not.
1: I don't know if they ever had a match. They may have, but their paths didn't cross very much. Rhino is yes, more to, towards
0: the end, yeah. That's, and that's and while think, Raven the was there, it really good.
1: Oh yeah, I think, and I, I, mean, I don't want to take anything away from Rhino, but I think a lot of that probably had to do with Raven because uh, Raven, you know, he's very, he is very smart in how he lays out his matches and stuff. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Even, the, even this shopping cart towards the end, this just kind of plays into Raven's kind of character. Rhino hits Raven with the shopping cart. That's the way he uses right. it the way Raven uses it is he waits for Rhino to pick it up and then he hits Rhino in the face. So Rhino drops it on himself.
0: Hilarious spot. I love that. And I mean, like kind of like stabbed him with it.
1: Yeah. And so then here's, you, you talked about the shopping cart spot. I've thought about that too many times in my life. Next time you go to the store, look in a shopping cart and imagine, I, I don't know what you look like, but I'm assuming you're not the size of Rhino. Imagine <laughs> no. trying to dive into the back of that without hurting yourself. Rhino was yeah. a huge human being, and somehow he's able to run full force, go in there, and not hit it, <laughs> and like not yeah. cut himself, yeah. not whatever. It's, it's
0: amazing to me. Yeah, uh, it was so smooth looking.
1: I, I did not like. I, I'll be honest though, I didn't like the ending. Uh, the, I didn't like how abrupt it was. It kind of seemed like a not not uh and a very abrupt ending. Abrupt ending to a pretty well thought out match, but overall yeah. it was my third favorite match on the card. Uh, and until I got to the main event, it was my second favorite and I, I'd give it three and a half stars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The ending, I, I can agree with you, but, um, I think a lot of it comes with, you know, Rhino and how indestructible he is. So I mm-hmm. think they're kind of putting over the idea that, okay, this guy just ran through a shopping cart, but he's still unfazed and he can just recover immediately. And yeah, get his gore out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I, I could see where you're coming from on that. But, Yeah, awesome match here. Um, definitely one I would go back and check out. De- a quick, quick match, easy match to watch. Um, but yeah, fun stuff here. Um, what we got after that? After that, we have Duchess gotcha of Queens Chris Jericho. Man, <laughs> I um, I thought I was going to hate this match more than I did. What? Well, honestly, I think it. I think it played. So hear me out. So okay, the match itself. First of all, you have Jericho and William Regal. So there's, there's like a typical wrestling involved in this match, which is great. But so the premise of here, the premise here is that William Regal is a commissioner. So for months and months, he's been abusing his power over Chris Jericho and whoever else. And uh, Chris Jericho is kind of that anti-hero who's going against authority. So this match plays into that fact that William Regal is, finds every way possible to abuse, abuse his authority, be it changing the rules, you know, Dirty tactics here and there. Um, anytime Chris Jericho is about to win or he does win, he changes the rules until Regal is able to come out with the victory. So I think the story there was solid. Um, it was a little a little corny, I guess, with the shitty throne <laughs> out there and the stupid-looking <laughs> wig on the Duchess. But honestly, I, I enjoyed it. I was entertained by this match in general.
1: Yeah, I I love this. This is one of my favorite matches, uh, just in a stupid kind of way. You you have Chris Jericho and William Regal, two of the best of all time in the ring. But there's so much going on in this card. It's followed by Engel Benoit. So there's no sense in Regal and Jericho going out there and giving a super intense match. Mm -hmm. You know, because... They're not gonna. They're not gonna top Angle and Then why? And even if they do, you know, that's not helping anything. That's not adding to the the variety of the show. Uh, right. I personally would be okay. I don't know what kind of shape Rios <clears throat> in today. I doubt he ever wrestles again. But I could see him revisiting this with some uh, a heel on NXT just to kind of give that heel some comeuppance of. We're going to have a Duchess of Queensbury rules match. And yes. the the heel is obviously better than than Regal in every way, but he just keeps changing the rules.
0: Um. <laughs> yeah. No, I would definitely <laughs> love it. I think I feel like Regal could get in ring shape whenever he wanted to. That guy's just a monster. Um, but yeah, good stuff here. <laughs> the round one thing made me pop. Yes. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I knew I knew like he would change the rules but I forgot exactly what he did but that was such like a ridiculous premise and like a WWF match um but yeah overall good stuff it was my third favorite match on the card personally just because all the character work and stuff what I thought was right. executed perfectly Re- you know um, Regal is he, go ahead no you go ahead
1: Regal is so good in that I, I was thinking about this when he was coming out and it's a Kurt mm-hmm. Angle thing too he is – there's something they do, and I can't even pinpoint it, that they can come out and do things that baby faces do, like everything, uh, waving at fans, shaking hands, smiling, but just something about the way they do it makes you hate them. Yeah. If, if it was anyone else, you would be like, oh, yeah, he's a good guy, but there's just something they carry that, that makes you go, no, I'm not supposed to like him.
0: Yeah, it's that Regal, Regal's smug face and the way he just, the way he walks, like his body yeah. motions. He's so good at just coming off as a dick without even like saying anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And Jericho yeah, wins this really match is. three times. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you, you, keep, you keep Jericho looking strong, but you also keep Regal as that, you know, that authority figure that everybody wants to hate. So I think it and- really served its purpose for both people.
1: And Jericho does a great job of kind of using the rules to his advantage. It's like he finally catches up to it. You see him going right. for a lion tamer, and as Paul Heyman or JR one, I can't remember which, yells, You can't win by submission, uh, Jericho kind of shrugs and just low blows low blows regal and yeah, yeah. you know, kind of plays up, hey, this 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 the baby face is smart too.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, I may know that too. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It was uh, definitely a good story that was was told like throughout the match. Um, I think that's pretty much all I got on that one.
1: Yeah, for, um, fourth best, fourth best on a card for me, and I'd say uh, three stars. Really, really good leading into Angle Benoit.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, and you brought up the variety earlier, and I think that's something that they did so well during this era, even like back to you know. WrestleMania, they had something for everybody on a card. You know, you have technical wrestling, you have uh, character-based stuff, you have car crash, weapon-type matches. Uh, you have women, you have men, you have young, you have old. I think they were really hitting their stride. WWF was during this era and structuring cards that kind of from top to bottom were great and kept the audience audience invested throughout. Because, like in like the late nineties. You would have the main event, right? You would have like one or two main event matches that everybody was hot for, but then the rest of the card was kind of almost an afterthought. So I think they were really doing good during this era and creating like a full show. Yeah.
1: Definitely um, agree.
0: Yeah. But after that, we have Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, 30 minute ultimate submission match. I really, really love this match. Um, it felt kind of slow at certain points, but I think that's just the nature of Iron Man matches. Um, and we're kind of in a weird transition period where, you know, I mean, some people don't even consider this the Attitude Era. So we're like kind of trailing off from like, you know, Austin spraying people with beer and Undertaker crucifying people. And we're kind of moving towards there's more Matt based wrestling on the cards nowadays. So I think the audience is still kind of um, transitioning into absorbing all that. Um, but this match as a whole. So Iron Man matches can be kind of divisive. Some people think they are a waste of time because only like the last minute or two matters. But I thought the submission aspect of this made it really interesting because you had guys because they weren't just getting wins with their signature moves. You know, they Mm -hmm. would catch each other. Kurt would like just catch him with a heel hook out of nowhere and he would tap out. Uh, Benoit would catch him with an arm bar and Kurt would tap out, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And I think, because generally in Ironman matches, I don't like seeing guys lose to moves that they would generally not lose to. Um, but I think under the narrative of this match, it made sense because if you're in an arm yeah. bar, you don't want to stay in there for too long because your arm's going to get broken and then you're not going to be able to do anything the rest of the match. So I thought that like out of nowhere, it almost felt like a, like an MMA match where it could end at any time. Exactly. Um, so I think, I think that kind of, kept the tension strong during the match, which kept at least got me invested. Um, I mean, it's hard to keep anybody invested for 30 minutes straight in a match, but I think they did a really great job here.
1: You, you say it's hard to keep anyone invested for 30 minutes straight as we come to the 30 minute mark of the podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I definitely agree. And, uh, here's one thing I love. You know, you talked about kind of the, the, trope of Iron Man matches and how so often they begin with like this long filling out process. This one didn't, didn't. This one starts off with both men going for their submissions really early on. And they both end up in a, in the ropes and uh-huh. it almost looks sloppy. Like they're, they're trying to be too aggressive. Like how often do you see angle lock in the ankle lock, not in the middle of the ring? Or do you see Benoit exactly. lock in the crossface right by the ropes? But this happens here. And so it shows like these guys, and this is kind of the overall story of the match and the, the program in general. These guys want to prove they're the best. Uh-huh. And we this is a kind of a theme revisited in the main event. But that's something that I think is missing a lot today, is these guys just want to be the best. They they right. this is built as the ankle lot versus the crossface, but then like you pointed out. They go into it uh, with all these different submissions. Uh, Angle, for example, he gets on the outside and he gets locked in a crossface. Well, he immediately taps out because he's outside, so who cares? And it makes Ben right. Wallet go. And, you know, but then he that there's a I think it's the first submission of the match that actually gets a uh, gets a point, is Angle does a cheap shot in the corner, a quick takedown and a knee bar, and it is just so smooth
0: yeah
1: uh it's 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 beautiful
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. and then Benoit kind of retaliates with an arm bar which brings mm-hmm. it to one one and then there's a point in the match where Benoit gets kind of frustrated with the ref shoves him down, and then kurt takes that opportunity to hit Benoit with a steel chair so they're like having this like pure wrestling match you know they all claim they both claim to want to prove that they're the better technical submission wrestler, but then kurt resorts to a Steel chair shot, which ends up actually giving him two straight falls because he puts him, I believe, in the ankle lock after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the cross face right after that, so like two yeah. consecutive falls. And at that point throughout the match, for like the next 10 15 minutes, Kurt's the story is basically is Kurt is just trying to run out the clock, you know, he's putting him in rest holds, he's scurrying out of the ring, running out. Um, and then Benoit ends up catching him with another submission to bring it to 3 2. And then Kurt. Builds the urgency and he actually starts running away from him, like out of the ring, around the ring and all that. So I think they did a good job at telling that story throughout the match.
1: And, you know, that you point out the angle getting the crawl space. That's such a good uh, moment to let you know that angles the heel in the situation because he takes me down with the chair. Uh, He gets the ankle. Now he could have went for any other submission, but he goes, no, I'm going to be I'm going to be a jerk and I'm going to make you tap out to your own move. Uh, right you know yeah and Benoit you talked about him attacking the ref he's almost an anti-regal where I said angle uh, regal and angle as well can do all this babyface stuff and still come across his heel right. Benoit can right. do all this really aggressive almost heel like stuff but there's something about him that makes you go no I'm on I, I want this guy to win yeah and uh right before Benoit gets that uh that deep half Boston crab there's a beautiful arm arm drag like roll through that I watched it several times and I I don't know how they made it so smooth.
0: Yeah. Was that Uh, the one that like led into the ankle lock or I I I vaguely remember what you're talking about. I remember being really impressed with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. These guys, a lot of the parts of this match kind of felt like they were just like shoot wrestling almost Mm -hmm. like just going out there and having fun, which is awesome. It was good to see like two of the best to ever do it. And I think, go ahead. No, you go ahead.
1: It was somewhere around this mark, this is around the five minute mark that we're talking, um, maybe a little, maybe six or seven minutes, but earlier in the match, they really played up that uh, Benoit is going after angle's arm and angle's going after Benoit's knee, and they kind of abandoned that at this point and that really surprised me with these two that yeah. you know that that something they were selling early on is just you know kind of not there now. That's, that's probably the only negative thing I have to say about the whole match.
0: No, that's a good point. But th- there, there was one spot during the beginning. Like you said, Kurt was <laughs> going after Benoit's knee, and he was doing the, the chop blocks from the back. Mm-hmm. And then Benoit actually ended up doing almost the identical spots like towards the end of the match. So I don't yeah. know if that was like in, like intended to be continuously there, but I mm-hmm. think they at least had a, a little bit in mind there. But I agree. I think the selling could have been a little bit better in this match in general. Yeah. Um, I think they did a good job, nonetheless. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. This is my best match of the uh, card. Yeah,
1: definitely. There, there's there's a counter, counter, counter deal that happens that ends up with Benoit getting ankle in the ankle lock. Angle mm-hmm. in the ankle lock. That I liked how it kind of a comeuppance. It's kind of a, hey, you tapped me with mine, now I'm going to tap you with yours. And, and yeah. it wasn't done yeah. right away. And a lot of times in Iron Man matches, you see that come up and it's happening right away. But it's almost like the beginning of the match, Angle gets the, or you know towards the beginning gets that uh, I'm going to be a jerk and use your move on you. Now Benoit gets that back. Uh, a fun side note that I, I caught: Angle uses the Bro Mission, Matt Riddle's Bro Mission, or a oh, very shit, similar yeah. version of it. And here's yeah. the funny thing that happens like a couple of seconds and maybe a minute after he does it, Jr. yells, look at these stallions.
0: Uh, wow. That's <laughs> uh, crazy.
1: Uh, I think Heyman uh, summarized this match the best. He said, I have no problem calling Chris Benoit the winner, but I hate to think Kurt Angle is the loser in this match.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think both these guys, I think they had a match at the Royal Rumble 2003 mm-hmm. maybe. That's probably my favorite fe- match that these two ever had. But every time these guys were in the ring, great That's chemistry magic. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: yeah this, um, this has got to be like a four and a half star match. Best match on the
0: card. Yeah. I gave it four and a half myself. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, what we have? To, we have now next Go match. We have nah, a little bit of a different uh theme here. Um <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. um It was shorter than I remember it being. Mm-hmm. It was also a little slower than I remember it being. Um this match really is just for that spot at the end. Um although there is the chloroform spot at the beginning, which is hilarious. It's um, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> they don't they never I'm say smart. chloroform. Yeah. Su- some substance on a towel. What is that?
1: I can smell um,
0: it. <laughs> I love how the commentators and the ref were all like selling how like pungent this thing was. Mm-hmm. And how Shane had to put a mask on. So I think it was well done for what it was, but it was a little silly. Um, See, yeah, just a lot of brawling on the outside. Test gets involved um, because in the lead up to this match, Test and Big Show have had some issues. So that Test and Big Show fight up the aisleway to the stage. Uh, Shane takes his time to recoup. uh, Attack Big Show from behind, but then Big Show pulls a pipe out of nowhere. Starts chasing Shane and where else could Shane go, but to the top of the Titan Tron um, test and big show, keep fighting test, gets him down on the platform. Crazy, crazy, crazy spot here by Shane jumping from the top of the Tron on a big show with the elbow drop um, test ends up having to pick up Shane, of course, and hold him on the little camera crane there. Um, last man standing match rules. So Shane is up on his feet technically, I guess gets the win here. Um, yeah, like I said, pretty quick match. It was pretty much just for that spot. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a spot that'll live forever. I mean, I, I, I forgot like how high, like, it felt like he was in the air forever when he was falling on show.
1: And, and, you know, it's to me, this is peak Shane McMahon. This is Shane. He's hit and run. <laughs> He's cheap and he's fearless. He does whatever he has to do. And he's dangerous despite not being skilled at all. Like once he's caught, he's in trouble. But until you catch him, you know, you're going to work.
0: Yeah. And you
1: you talked about the chloroform. I think this is the only time I've ever seen in wrestling where a wrestler uses chloroform and the fans are chanting his name. Uh, While he has Big Show down, Chloroforming him. And like the cheapest wrestling thing there is, fans are chanting, Shane, Shane, Shane. Uh, It's great. (laughs) But you talk about Big Show pulling out the pipe. I love how serious everything gets when that happens. Like this is a silly match. We're having fun. We're hitting each other. Then Big Show gets a pipe out. Heyman freaks out. And it's like the mood changes. Like, okay, this dude, you know, this is a giant who now has a weapon.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah, because at the beginning of the match, you said yo, Shane was being really elusive. I like how they started it with like Shane runs out of the ring, he's forcing Show to chase him, and then Shane like slides under the ring, grabs a kendo stick, and comes out like at another side. So he's using his smarts and his quickness, and he's kind of doing what he can to overcome the size of Show. So he's trying to use his smarts and his speed rather than, you know, just hitting him with weapons and trying to make something happen. So I think they did a good job. I think they had they were cognizant of that, which is good.
1: And, and that bump, there weren't crash pads down there. You know, we see like that kind of stuff happens today, and there's crash pads under there. I, yeah. looking at it, I there might have been some boxes or something, but the dude jumped on the plywood, uh, which is just yeah. nuts. And then using that gym I mean, camera to yeah. hold chain up was just so smart.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was a good little addition there. I like that. Yeah, they must have had something. I mean, it's definitely not, you know, what. Kenny Omega did when he hit that one-winged angel onto uh, Sammy Guevara. I don't know if you saw that, but
1: I'm sure it's
0: it's progressed much more today (laughs) than what it was back then. It was probably just "Ah, throw a bunch of cardboard boxes or something in there. he will be fine. Fuck him.
1: Um, I think this this, Matt said a lot. I I think it did a lot in setting up what they hoped the invasion would be of kind of WCW being the little engine that could – uh, of course, uh-huh. fans turned on it didn't work out that way. But you see Shane be resilient. He's willing to die to win. Uh, uh-huh. And I think that would have been a great, you know, great idea for the invasion storyline that ultimately did not pan out. But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the small guy going up against the giant. Uh, and the small right. guy has to do everything possible. He puts his life on the line in order to take down this giant. And there's no doubt that Vince McMahon saw WWF as the giant and, and mm-hmm. WCW as the in, little engine that could. So I think there are some cool thematic stuff here.
0: No, yeah, that's a good point. And I think, because like I said, I, I was reading JR's book and he goes into WCW and the buyout and like what the plans were for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know like what, what exactly the timeline is here, but I know at a certain point, Vince just wanted WCW to be like its own separate brand. You know, he wanted mm-hmm. WWF on Mondays and WCW on Thursdays. And I don't know if this is still that time period where we're still trying to build up WCW as like a viable, you know, something that fans want to tune into and get interested in. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting aspect. Like the David versus Goliath aspect of it. I didn't really think about, but yeah, that makes sense.
1: Especially when you think about, and you know, Vince knows this, we don't at this time. When you think about who Vince is bringing in from WCW, he's not bringing in the Hulk Hogan's and the Goldberg's. He's bringing in the younger wrestlers who are going to have to go up against the Stone Cold's and the Undertaker's.
0: Hmm. no yeah exactly yeah it's interesting it's a w- weird period in here between like austin's heel turn and the invasion um but a lot of good stuff here uh, I, this is the
1: fifth best match on the card and i, I would say it's yeah. along the lines of the dudley's and x factor that it served its purpose is you know solid two and a half whatever average is two and a half two and three quarters um yeah, told a nice yeah. little story but
0: Yeah, pretty much the same here. I gave it two stars just because the match itself was... It was what it was, but as far as, you know, what it it was meant to do, what it was designed to do, it was designed to give you that moment, and uh, it -hmm. was a crazy one. So I think they executed that really well. So match after that, we have the European Championship on the line. We have Matt Hardy versus Christian versus Eddie Guerrero. Um, So these guys are like three of... Low-key, three of the best to ever do it. I think... uh, Technically, this match was very good. It was very smooth. Um, but, you know, coming after, first of all, you have Kurt and Benwell having a 30-minute Iron Man match. Then you have Shane McMahon jumping 50 feet to his death. And you have the main event coming up after this. So this match did not stand a chance as no. far as the crowd goes. Um, even though they were, you know, doing everything, all the moves and all the transitions and the story within the match were all great um i mean the story i mean the build-up to this match was pretty much non existent it was kind of thrown together at the last second um so i enjoyed it for what it was but the crowd wasn't into it they didn't really care until the end um it just felt kind of cold to me um but i think you know if there was a proper build to these guys having a match i think it could have been something special
1: yeah this was definitely a breather match uh And this was the only match on the card I did not remember. Uh, Even X-Factor Dudley's. I I was like, I kind of remember that happening. Uh, But when I saw this, I thought, I have no idea. (laughs) I I had no idea the story going into it, except, like you said, kind of reviewing the the Raw and SmackDowns leading up to it. um, That they had just taken the title off. And, you know, now Christian wiggles his way into the match. But uh, it had potential. Uh, all these guys are future main eventers, which I think back then, nobody would have called that. This was a case of yeah. uh, none of these guys ever be given a chance. They did do a lot of one versus one versus one, uh, which is kind of the a lot of people take the easy way out of a triple threat of, hey, let's abandon it. Throw this guy outside and do one V one. Then we'll throw someone mm-hmm. else outside and do one V one. But there was a lot of, you know, three man interactions. Uh, yep. This was back, I forgot, this was back when WWF or WWE, whatever, didn't have the, now that, you know, every multi-man match is no DQ, but, you know, right. at, anytime there was interference to this match, the referee had to be distracted.
0: Yeah, I was trying to, I couldn't tell whether or not it was no DQ or not, because you have Edge mm-hmm. come out, Spear Matt on the outside, then you have Jeff come out, take out Edge, and then ultimately ends up giving Matt the win by a swan uh, Christian to give Matt the win. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess yeah, I guess the ref was distracted. So I guess they figured out eventually that you can't really do DQs and triple threat, or at least they didn't want to.
1: Well, I mean, how do you, but, yeah. you how do you DQ a guy who wins if one guy gets DQ'd? If it's uh, not elimination, I'm sure they
0: can. I'm sure they can create a contrived way <laughs> oh, to yeah. figure that out. <laughs> uh,
1: this was um, uh, I think I think this is my least favorite match on the card actually, uh, and maybe it's yeah. just because I had high expectations for it. It was probably. You know, two stars. It did what it was supposed to do.
0: Yeah, it gave, I, them, I, gave I, the fans I,
1: I, a chance to breathe.
0: Yeah, I had it last, but that's just based off the fact that of, of where it was on the card and the build-up to uh-huh. it and the other matches that were on the card. Because it was overall, like you said, a very strong card. So being the last being the least good match on this card isn't really necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um so after that, we have the main event. Stone Cold and Triple H. Versus Undertaker and Kane. Uh, Stone Cold's WWF championship. Triple H's intercontinental championship. And the brothers tag team championships are all on the line here. Winner take all. Um, I I enjoyed this match. I think it was good um, for what it was. So you have Austin and Triple H being the chicken shit heels in the beginning. They don't want to get in the ring. They don't want to take on these brothers head on. Um, very interesting to see Austin Kind of be in that role. It's something I don't mm-hmm. think people would have ever suspected seeing. Um, but I like the story of the match. So you have Kane, his, I guess his right arm is injured. Uh, T- or, uh, Triple H in Austin.
1: That's his left. Was it his left? It's always your left in wrestling. Unless <laughs> yeah. it's a real injury.
0: Exactly. <laughs> How could I forget? Um, <laughs> but yeah, they don't want to take on the brothers head on. So they're trying as best they can to avoid them until they get the opportunity to isolate Kane who is uh, kind of the injured one, or he he is the injured one of the team. So there Kane is obviously the one that they could kind of control and isolate. Um, So at that point of the match, they kind of just drag Kane down, beating him down for a solid, you know, 10 or so minutes. Um, And then Kane is eventually able to tag undertaker, but the ref doesn't see it. So it doesn't count. So, Undertaker, he comes in with a hot tag as a bat out of hell, kicking everybody's ass, gives Triple H the last ride, has him beat, but the ref didn't see the tag, so he can't make the count. Um, Taker and Triple H end up fighting on the outside, or no, Taker and Austin end up fighting on the outside Mm -hmm. through the crowd. So it's just Triple H and Kane on the inside. And then Vince McMahon makes a run-in, which I totally forgot. Like you said, I forgot Vince was such a part of this. Comes in with a sledgehammer. Um, I think taker takes the sledgehammer away from him or just knocks him down so he drops the sledgehammer or Kane does I'm sorry and then mm-hmm. um triple H grabs the sledgehammer hits Kane with it and gets the pin one two three uh pretty good match here definitely us uh, did what it was designed to do um I had it as my fourth best match on the card just mm-hmm. because um I don't know I think it kind of dragged a little bit at some points I think I think mm-hmm. it what they did was smart and trying to isolate Kane and try to wear him down. Um, but overall, um, a lot of it kind of jagged for me personally. What do you think?
1: Uh, first of all, I, I like, and I mentioned this during in Benoit angle. I like that this match basically boiled down to <clears throat> we want to prove that we are better. Um, mm-hmm. It was almost like a pride on the line kind of thing. There's no reason that the Brothers of Destruction should come out and Face the two man power trip when they did, you know, in in the build up. It's just one day, Kane and Undertaker. Are like these guys are saying, they're they're the baddest guys here. Now we're the baddest mm-hmm. guys here, and we're going to prove this. Uh, the stipulation, I, I really like it, and I, it's happened a few times in wrestling. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's ever been a company that had the guts to let the tag champs win. Uh, I think yeah. TNA's done this a couple times. Uh, I know has done it a couple of times. WCW may have. I'd have to go back and look. But the tag team champions have never won both single titles, that to my to my knowledge. Um, yeah. But this is I mean, this is a feud that really just comes down to who's the best and it becomes violent and it becomes vicious and it becomes intense, all because they just want to prove they're the best. Something I'd forgot is that this was Triple H becoming the Grand Slam champion. There's all, now there are so many, but at this point, there had only been one. Uh, really? And that, oh, was yeah. yeah. that was Shawn Michaels. That mm. uh, was Shawn Michaels. Because for a long time, it almost seemed like they danced around it to try to keep Shawn Michaels as the only one. And then after this, the floodgates opened. Right. But you talked about Austin playing the role he's playing. Him showing sympathy for tri- for getting tri- for Triple H getting punched in the eye early on It's such a, it's such a smart thing because anyone who loved Austin for who he was during the attitude era, uh, like the prime attitude era is looking at this going, that's not the stone cold. I used to cheer. I mean, look at, he's very close to triple H's face. And he's like looking at, he's very sympathetic, very like, Oh man, my friend's hurt. Uh, That's not the, that's not the DTA Austin. Uh, Yeah. And he, he even does a beautiful spot where he gets tagged in when Kane is hurt. And he's, runs across the ring and then Kane gets Undertaker tagged in and Austin immediately like just falls yeah, down and exactly. back <laughs> And it's hilarious. <laughs> that that heel Austin is so underrated just because I think of, of like it just didn't work. Uh especially I think it would have worked better had Triple H got not gotten hurt. This was actually less than a month before Triple H tour's quad. Right. And so I would have been very interested to see where this is going. Um this is also prime Kane to me because this oh, yeah. was Kane that he was monster enough to be scary and intimidating, but he wasn't so much monster that he couldn't get sympathy and he couldn't sell. Uh, right. He he was likable, but he was still like a juggernaut. So, mm-hmm. and,
0: and there was, I love this. Go ahead. There was a, uh, talking about Kane. I think it was a SmackDown oh. before this. The main event was Kai and Ty versus Austin and triple. Oh, H. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing the gimmick. They have the voiceover. Kintai does. Yeah. But they do it where Taker and Kane are doing it. So mm-hmm. Taker does uh, Taka's part. And then when Funaki takes the mic, <laughs> Kane, you just hear Kane go, indeed. That, <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot about that. It made me laugh my ass off. Um, yeah, I agree about Kane. He's still like a, a huge juggernaut at this point. As you said, he's like fresh off the heels of that rumble where he dominated everybody, uh, won the hardcore match at WrestleMania, and um, yeah, now he's here in the main event. So yeah, peak Kane here, in my opinion, for sure.
1: I'd also argue this is uh, this is kind of peak Undertaker for me. Uh, I love this mm-hmm. version of the Undertaker, and we're kind of seeing this a little bit now, to where he's able to sh- he's still able to be this this man you don't want to mess with, but he's also mm-hmm. able to show emotion. You know, he can show frustration that Kane's getting beat up. He can show concern that, hey, I don't want to tag Kane into this match because he's injured. It's my brother. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I love the, the amount of times that Kane was in the ring getting hurt or getting stumped on or beat on, that you would see Undertaker just kind of walk around towards the edge of the ring and then be pushed back by the referee and just the look on his face of, like, I want to do something. Uh, yeah. Stephanie yeah, took sympathy. some bumps in this match.
0: Oh my God! That big boot she took, she, she like she got shot out of a cannon. Yeah.
1: Uh, even when Errol Hebner shoved her, she took an apron. Hey, uh, 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 the hardest part of the ring, Stephanie took a bump on. Uh-huh.
0: Her. Uh <laughs> That's branding. That's branding. <laughs> That's.
1: Uh, he pushes her, and she doesn't just kind of fall outside. She falls on the apron, and then falls to the floor. Uh, and yeah. So, a,
0: a few weeks ago, she took a twist. Twist of fate that was better mm-hmm. than a lot of guys take it nowadays. <laughs> So, yeah, Stephanie, Uh, she could could do stuff in the ring.
1: This was such a generic tag match and how it was laid out with um, the faces initially dominating and then the heels do something cheap and then they they isolate someone and and then you get the hot tag, but the referee misses it and, you know, the the good guys have the win and then the bad guys. But they put all their own branding on it so much that they took just a very generic formula and they they did such a good job working at This 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 was one of my my favorite matches of the night. I think I had this as my second favorite behind Benoit and uh, behind Benoit and Angle just because of how well the story was told. Yeah, I loved.
0: No, I, can I get love, behind that.
1: I loved Kane uh, his selling there and how uh, I loved. I forgot how good Triple H and Austin worked together.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they faced each other so many times. I forgot by the way how like soon after their like blood feud this was cuz at no way mm-hmm. out like 2 months earlier they had that two out of 3 falls match just beating each other bloody with barbed wire in a cage with sledgehammers and all that and then 2 months later they're like buddy buddy, which they did what they could to make it work. And I and watching the Raw's and SmackDown's leading up to it, I think it made sense a little bit. Um but yeah, very strange to see them working together. But I agree. I think they did work together very well. And I think a lot of that comes with how much they worked together pretty recently before this.
1: Yeah. Uh, I really would like to have known where this was going. Because like I said, this is uh, this is in late April. And Triple H tears his quad on May 21st. Mm-hmm. And so i had been very interested to see where this was going to end up. Uh, yeah,
0: I've always been. Because with the invasion coming up, you know, I always wondered where Triple H would have factored in mm-hmm. there. And, you know, watching this two-man power trip, you have Austin as the WWE champ. You have, you have Triple H as the Intercontinental champ. Triple H is almost positioned as, like, the sidekick of the duo. So mm-hmm. I think, if I had to guess, I think ultimately they would have led to, you know, Triple H resenting Austin. And I'm willing to bet they would have gone with a face turn for Triple H and you would have had a program, another program with Triple H and Austin um but then that would have bled into the invasion i don't know it's it, it, there's a lot of scenarios that could have happened i guess yeah definitely interesting you know, to see where that would have gone
1: for triple h to have been the ic champion in this uh he did a they did a really good job of not making him seem very secondary you know he had that right. program yeah. with jeff uh that would seem like a big deal uh the mm-hmm. that and i think a lot of that comes down to tri- which is funny but a lot of it comes down to triple h uh, being willing to step up, and even though he was the mid card champion or whatever you want to call it, he he didn't treat it as such. Uh, and I say it's funny because there's the whole rumor that you know many years later when the brand split happened, that initially the Intercontinental title was going to be the top title on Raw, and the 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 rumor is that AAA said, "Well, no, we need a world title. We're not going to let that," you know, and so and he became that world champion and is kind of associated with that time period as being the top guy. But he played that really well, and they played them pretty well as equals, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think they did a good job at illustrating them as a unit and not you know uh, Stone Cold in the front with Triple H in the back. I think the IC title with Triple H was more based on them having all the power rather Mm -hmm. than Triple H wanted to be Intercontinental Champion. Um, I don't think he holds on to it for too long. I forget what exactly happens after this, but... um, but yeah, the match as a whole, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Like you said, it was kind of a generic formula. Maybe that's why I didn't have it ranked as high as you did. I had f- my fourth favorite on the card. Um, I kind of feel like they just, there was like a another gear they could have hit towards the end that they didn't. It, the, the finish almost kind of felt erupt. Yeah, um, I agree. But I think, I think like you said, they, they did, as far as the character work goes and as far as the baby faces getting sympathy and the heels... Being heels, I think they executed this match really, really well, and ultimately, I enjoyed—I enjoyed it for what it was.
1: Definitely agree, uh, and I think uh, in a card that really coming off the heels of WrestleMania could have very easily have been a uh, a rebuilding. Hey, let's take our time. Let's, uh, they pushed all the storylines along really well uh, as mm-hmm. a whole. Uh, that you had and even this this year, you know, it, it established it, Triple H and Austin as being the top because I, I can't think of any other combination besides Kane and the Undertaker that you could say, OK, who do we have to be to be the, the tag team to be to show that we are the top guys in the company, that we are we're together, that we're established, that we're we mm-hmm. uh, were a unit. And, it, you know, it's Kane and the Undertaker, it's the brothers of destruction. And so, of course, then that sets up for the coming feud with Benoit and Jericho.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think they did a good job at selling the fact that, you know, Kane's injured. So that played a lot into how they were able to come out with the win here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I agree that it kind of establishes them as the top because you also have Vince McMahon and the commissioner in their pocket. So they've kind of established them as like this, this final boss on top of the mountain, which is, I think, in wrestling so important to have somebody at the top that everybody's trying to take down and i think the two-man power trip as a unit filled that role very well and um i think after the yeah like you said benoit and jericho or the next duo to try to take them down and uh which is where triple h's quad tear happens. Mm-hmm. so can't really say where exactly that would have ended up but um but yeah this match this main event set it up perfectly i think
1: yeah definitely agree so I, I, I guess, uh, like I said, this is my second favorite match on the card. It's funny, funny enough, from a match standpoint, I, I can't remember what I rated everything else. So I'd have to go back and look. It, it's not going to be as highly rated, uh, probably three and a half. But the story that went into it and came out of it and uh, the character work surrounding it uh, kind of elevated to, I guess I, I was more entertained by the overall story of it than I, than I was some of the others that I ranked you know, as far as where they placed on the card for me.
0: Yeah. yeah, And the crowd was into it too, which ultimately is what matters. Yeah. Um, have yeah, four. which is another interesting aspect of it. Cause you have four titles, the four main title, or I guess three main titles in the main event. So you have to fill a rest, a whole rest of a card with not that many title matches. So I think overall looking at the show, I think they were able to overcome that very well. Um, not having to rely rely on title matches so much and relying more on storylines and uh, kind of creating a top-to-bottom show.
1: Definitely. So And and overall, I think a lot of that has to do with this, as I mentioned in Bois Angle and the main event, which even had the titles, is there's a feeling of I want to be the best. And I think that's kind of missing today a little bit. Uh, It doesn't seem, and not to make this a whole then-versus-now thing, but back then, everything seemed competitive in wrestling. Yeah. You know uh, even even in the something as silly as Regal versus Jericho, with the Duchess of Queen, Bay rules. Jericho was trying to come out on top to prove that, you know, Regal was just this. Uh, he, he he shouldn't be in the position he's in, and Regal was trying to prove that he should be, and he you know he's used his intelligence to. Uh, And his power to prove that point. So,
0: Yeah, I think there's nowadays, there's almost like a, uh, not a passion that's missing, but like, I think the way we've progressed as a society, like people, a lot of storylines nowadays are almost like tongue in cheek, because fans Mm. are so tuned in to how, you know, people are getting built, how storylines are structured and all that. So it's hard to really like immerse yourself, at least as a fan and maybe even as a wrestler into those storylines. I think back here in 2001, you know, everything feels real. And I think, uh, there is more of a focus on kind of really, you know, ab- absorbing your character and, um, carrying that through the match. See, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, it seemed like in every match there was like, even like the like something silly, like the X factor Dudley's match. You have the Dudley's come out they're in the ring. And then as X factors making their entrance, like the Dudley's are all like, just like ready to pounce in the ring. They're like really like glaring at them as they X factor walks to the ring. Like s- little things like that yeah, make a hell of a lot of difference as far as the emotion and a match goes.
1: In the beginning of the main event, you have kind of a similar thing, uh, which Undertaker and Kane, uh, they're, they're in the middle of the ring and mm-hmm. you don't feel like either team is in a bad position but you also feel like but you feel like they're both exactly where they want to be. Undertaker and right. Kane are on top of the mountain. They're in the middle. They have the high ground, but then you have Triple H and Austin kind of pacing around the ring uh, looking for their shot. You know, mm-hmm. you you guys can't go anywhere we have you surrounded. Of course this is before Triple H gets punched in the eye and Austin has to see to him, but
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> it sets up a um. very very good, you know, image for the beginning of the match.
0: Yeah, yeah, like like we said, Austin being that being sympathetic to Triple H, Austin (laughs) be you know, not wanting to get in the ring, not one wanting to confront Undertaker or Kane, backing down when Undertaker gets in the ring. I think all that, as you said, you know, he's not the Austin that people grew up watching him in the past few years. So I think that was their mission and because people didn't want to boo him. Initially. Yeah. And that was because Austin was still the same Austin. So they have to do everything they can to uh distance Austin from the old character that he used to be. And I think a lot of things he did in this match uh did that very well.
1: He never gave people a reason to boot to cheer him the entire time if you need to go back and look. There right. the, the closest he came, he did one Luthes press and he attempted a stunner one time. That was it. Mm-hmm. Everything he did nothing else that was classic Austin.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So
1: super smart wrestled, in my opinion.
0: I agree. I think yeah, both teams came out very well in this match and set up the future. Um, but yeah. Overall, the show, like we've said, very good show, top to bottom. Um, if you had to rate this whole show out of ten, what would you give it?
1: Out of ten, uh, I'd probably give it a an eight out of ten. Eight,
0: I was thinking the same eight, thing. Yeah,
1: eight and a quarter maybe. Uh, just because it was so much better than I remembered it being. Not that I remembered it being bad, but uh, it wasn't. It's not a show that I think top pay per views I watched back in two thousand one, but uh, it's definitely a really, really good show.
0: Yeah, I agree. I have a special place in my heart for like this time period, so I really enjoyed watching the show. It didn't feel like there was a lot of filler, um, mm-hmm. which was good. Like I said, top to bottom, every match had its place and had its story and had you know what it was designed to do, and I think every match hit that mark. As best as they can. When,
1: when the closest thing you have to filler involves Eddie Guerrero, you, you're doing pretty good.
0: Right, but even that, like, you needed that filler. Yeah. I was like, yeah, oh, you right. needed that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah. Anything else on Backlash I, I, 2001?
1: Uh, I'd I definitely say it, it's it's worth going out of your way to revisit if you haven't revisited in a while, if you don't have good memories of it, or if if you haven't seen it before, it's worth going to see. Uh, even if you, yeah. uh, all, you, you, all the matches, uh, I, I didn't watch a lot of the between the match stuff, but all the matches themselves were uh, very, very well done. And I think it, you, a lot could be learned from it from, uh, from nowadays. Yeah.
0: So you didn't see the Duchess of Queensberry in catering is what you're saying?
1: I, I, I missed that this time.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you know what? You're going to have to go revisit it because that provides a lot of context to the show. And then we'll just have to do this all over again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I spent all my time researching Queensbury uh, itself to to get the true background of the the cultural significance of the Duchess of right. Paul I think Paul Heyman and I were the only ones who knew the rules going into this
0: match. Did you? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I was really annoyed that you know Heyman wasn't filling us in on the rules that he knew before. Well, you had
1: to sign a you know you you had to sign a you know do not disclose thing. It's it's a whole legal thing. Queensberry is a very uh, private yeah. place.
0: Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. It, it's it's really yeah. complex.
1: <laughs> I'm not. You might have to cut this part of the podcast out. I'm sorry if you do.
0: Yeah, I think this will just for, be the for, entire podcast. Just for, <laughs> for legal reasons.
1: For legal reasons, <laughs> you don't well, want to get I'll, in I'll trouble with Queensberry.
0: It. I'll put a beep over all the Queensberries and I think that's okay. Be fine. Good, good. good yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, yeah, thanks for uh, joining me here as my first. Oh case. yeah, I enjoyed it. Once again, thank you to Staple Gun for joining me really really enjoyed revisiting the show and uh, getting somebody else's point of view as well. I feel like we were kind of online aligned with a lot of, the, of a lot of our opinions um, so it was a good talk good hang and uh, let me know if you guys enjoyed that style of show I know I did uh, thank you guys once again for listening. I'm hard.